Welcome to Season 3 of Sacred Teachings. This season we are talking about dismantling racism. The murder of George Floyd in the United States has become a catalyst for change. Black Lives Matter is a rallying cry as people become aware every single day of the atrocities committed against black people, indigenous people, and other people of color. Racism, sad to say, is alive and well in Canada. In this episode, Melanie Delva, the reconciliation animator for the Anglican Church of Canada, interviews the Reverend Norman Wesley of the Cree Nation. Norm was born and lives at Moose Factory, Ontario. I live in a community that's rather small compared to most places. It was like a dream come true. All these young people who are looking for some kind of hope. I think, I think the catalyst for that change has to do with our persistence. Melanie Delva and I have the great honor and privilege of speaking today with my dear friend and someone I look up to very much, the Reverend Norm Wesley. Norm, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Melanie. How are you? I am well and better for being in conversation with you, that's for sure. Norm, tell us a bit about your community and your work. I live in a community that's rather small compared to most places around this country. Um, about 2,800 people here at the southern tip of James Bay's Caucus Factory. It is one of the, it is probably like, they say it's the oldest community, English-speaking settlement in the province of Ontario. And, and I was actually born and raised here. I can actually go down the street about a kilometer and a half from here and plant a stick on the ground where I was born. And I've been a, a um, an ordained minister for a number of years. I'm kind of semi-retired now, uh, but I still do some services, or I used to do services prior to the pandemic. And and um, I also um, I also am uh, fortunate and blessed to be the uh, one of the tri chairs of the Anglican Council of Indigenous Peoples. Um, so so uh, that's essentially what I do. This is where I'm from. So, Norm, that's a Cree-speaking community, is that correct? Dabwe, yes. <laughs> Truthfully, it is a Cree-speaking community, yes. Mm -hmm. And what, what is it like to be in the same community as you were born in? What's that like to be able to walk down that street? Because I know many of us can't say that, that we can go and, and stand on the place where we were born. In being a member of this community and growing up here, you know everybody and everybody knows you. When I see the faces in the congregation, uh, it's people that I grew up with. It's it's um, it, it's it's people whose families I know very very well, for the most part. So so um, uh, you you know the depth of their faith or their desire to be strong in faith, 
and and uh, you know the struggles that they've been through. So it, whereas a person who's coming in and um, as a teacher or as a, or as a, or as a priest um, doesn't have that depth, if you will, of the community. So it has its advantages for sure, um, it, where, where you can call your home home and be at home and with family. But um, there are times when when all of this knowledge kind of really weighs heavy on your shoulders and you, you spend a lot of time asking for strength, praying for strength. Mm, amen to that. Wow, thank you. So I'm aware that a lot of Indigenous folks that I interact with have to be able to uh, have a foot in both their Indigenous world in their Indigenous community and also a foot in the white world as well. Has that been your experience? Yes, it has. It has. I, um, when I grew up, I grew up um, in school. My, my, my father, my father would say to me, get up now. Your mother has gone to work. My mother used to get up at 5.30 every morning to go to work up at the hospital to wash dishes. And she would spend the whole day washing dishes up there. And she would have to be at work at 6 o'clock in the morning. There's a story about a winter storm. When she got up one morning, there was so much snow that, that, that fell that she was the only person that got to work on time because she got up early in the morning put her snowshoes on and snowshoed all the way up to work That's and, uh, and, and, and was there on time. She was very, she was very, she was very tenacious that way. And, and um, my dad would wake us up shortly after my, my, um, my mother would leave. And, and, and I would, and I would say, why are you waking us up? We don't have to be at school till nine o'clock. Goodness gracious. And he would say, you need to learn how to get up early in the morning because you're going to have to go to work one of these days. Mm-hmm. And, 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 um, and he, would, um, he would teach us that way. He said, you know, you're going to have to prepare yourself for this world that you're going to live in, which is different from mine. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to buy yourself a boat. Get yourself, you're going to have to be able to prepare yourself in life and, and buy yourself a boat or a canoe. And I said to myself, that's interesting. And I was just young at that time. And, 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 I, and I often wondered about that. And that canoe that my father talked about was the canoe that got him to where he was going to harvest in the fall, summer, spring, when the waters are open so he can make a livelihood. Without that canoe, he'd not be able, he would not be able to survive. He would not be able to provide for the family. He couldn't. And he would say, you need to have a canoe. And later in life, as I got older, I said to myself, that canoe is not the canoe that my father used. I have a canoe sitting outside here. But my, really can- my real canoe is the education that I got. The education mm-hmm. that I wow. got from my father and the education that I got when my dad would send me to school. Living in both worlds. You have to be able to live in both worlds. So it sounds like at the same time as your father was trying to prepare you to be in a white world, he was also giving you the tools you needed 
to be part of your traditional teachings. Would you say that's fair? That's fair, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and also, you know, my 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 sister tells a story about how she lived the world in a world where there was this double-edged sword life that she lived as a young girl. My father knew the importance of us getting an education, would send us to school, always insist that we go to school, always insist that we go to school. And my sister and her friends would skip school. And if, the, if my father knew and found out that my sister skipped school, they went to Indian, an Indian day school, uh, and, there, and there, were, there were what they call the uh, day scholars, I guess you call them at the time. And, 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 and if my father knew, she would get into big trouble, really big trouble. My father was quite strict. So she would skip school. But he, and the reason why she skipped school is because if she went to school, their teacher, who, a person who was called, I forget, I forget the name of the teacher, but he was a, he was a predator. He was a predator. He molested young girls. So she would skip school to stay away from this predator and her friends at the risk of getting in trouble with my dad. It was, it was tough for my sister, very tough. And she tells that story and, 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 um, and it's, it, it's that whole business that we talk about, the effects of residential school, right? What a horrible choice to have to make between an education and the safety of your person as a child. Wow. Norm, you've been deeply involved in National Indigenous Ministries work for many years. What led you to this work? And why do Indigenous people need their own church? You see, Melanie, in the course of my life, I've asked myself, who am I? Where do I come from? And where am I going? That's been something that I've asked myself, and, 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 and I, 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 I lived a time where where in my younger days, in my 20s or so, that a lot of us who wondered about our Indianness, if I, may, if I might call it that, a lot of us went out west and we spent time in Saskatchewan, Alberta with ceremonies and that kind of stuff. I didn't do that. Somehow I, I had this feeling that who I was as a Cree person was in the hearts of the elders here. So I, I chose to begin to sit and talk with the old people here. And, and, and in the course of time in 1985, I wrote a, I wrote a mini thesis um, called In Search of Cree Reality, Who I Am as a Cree Person. In addition to that, I wrote a, a series of um, stories that were given to us by the old people that, um, that, that I entitled Droppings of Rabbits in a Bark of Trees. <laughs> Sorry, you can make <clears throat> that laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Droppings of Rabbits in a Bark of Trees. That's what I called it. And, 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 and those two documents is the essence of who I am as a Cree person. 
But at the same time, my upbringing by my mother was one that was very strong in terms of who I am as God's child in the Christian world. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I was taught. My mother and I would go to church together. She would sing Cree hymns. I started singing Cree hymns. And, and, and our faith in that was quite deep. So there's always this strong desire for me to be able to express myself as a, as a Cree Christian in the way in which God intended me to be as a, as a Cree person. So when I read about the covenant in terms of what was being said in the desire of people across this country who are indigenous people, my heart was so excited. I was so excited. And I said to myself, boy, there's other people that actually think like this as well across this country. I think I want to spend some time with these people and just kind of just see what the possibilities are. For listeners who might not have heard of the covenant that you're referring to, it was a sacred document drafted and signed in Winnipeg in 1994. This document was a call for a new self-determining Indigenous church within the Anglican Church of Canada. This was a very powerful moment of change for the church. Norm, years later at another sacred circle in Penawa, Manitoba, you experienced another powerful moment of change? I was only a lay reader at the time. And when I left Pinawa, I had this call to become ordained at Pinawa. But at the same time, never leaving this desire for my Krenus and having both be melted as one. I took a young, I took a group of young people one time to St. Matthew's in Glebe in Ottawa our partner parish a number of years ago with, um, with our local minister here, Norma Mendes, and uh, we took a drum group with us. And Caleb and the boys, the drum group, they, they did a seminar on what the drum was all about to the large choir that they had there because they were going to do the drumming at Sunday and stuff. And he, and he actually taught a lesson. I was so proud of Caleb. It was absolutely such a moving moment when we processed in to the cathedral at the very beginning with a drum being played by Caleb and the boys in the sanctuary. And, and the drum just completely filled the cathedral. It was just, wow. it, it just almost indescribable. When, when normal may, when normal did the prayers of the people, the sound of the drum in the background was amazing. It's absolutely amazing as he was praying. And Nirmal's in East India, Nirmal's in Sri Lankan, as you would say, I'm the real Indians, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. But, 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 but that's, that's to experience that and to experience the guys playing the drum in the sanctuary. I was sitting in the sanctuary as well. I was in tears. I was in tears. Norm, I found the story of hearing the drums in the Ottawa Cathedral very moving, especially since I'm aware that in many places, the missionaries taught that traditional ways were wrong 
and in many places they were also illegal. What was it like for you to hear those drums? And is there a reintegration of some of these traditional practices in, in your area? It was like a dream come true. And when I was in that cathedral, this great hope, this, this, this desire that I had manifested itself before me, young people, in a in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in our young people in in a, in a, a Christian church service with 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 non-indigenous peoples and stuff. It was just it was such a it was just such an awesome feeling that I had. All these young people who are looking for some kind of hope. All these young people who are looking for something to 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 hang on to that will carry them forward i think this is what i think this is it to a good number of them there are people who say that the traditional ways are evil there are some people who will say that the christian ways are evil look at what happened to us my goodness to hear one of the bishops in my younger days stand at the pulpit and say your traditional ways are evil they're pagan stay away from them i was about only nine years old when i heard that i remember that very well but i also hear our own people saying the traditional ways are evil only because people were brainwashed with that so we we stand at the, at, a, at, a, at a at a crossroads i think in terms of of, 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 of wondering how this is going to play out. And I'm only prayerful that it'll play out in the way in which people will say we, we, can, we can reconcile and live together and worship together. We have this business of people who are different being looked down by others, and it kind of almost works both ways. One feeling more superior to another, and the other feeling more superior to the other times, and that creating conflict. I think that what's happening right now with in the States and spilling over into Canada, indeed the entire world, everybody's starting to ask that question about racism. Mm -hmm. What is this all about? Why is this happening? And what good becomes is is is, is what 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 good is becoming of all of this that's happened or happening? And how can we fix things? How can we reconcile? That's, that's, that's a time for wonderment, I think. That's a time of sitting down and, 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 and pondering in our own minds first how we need to respond. And, you know, I would respond sometimes in, in ways that was perhaps unkind. We we went to the um, we we were I was on a long train trip back from Hawaii last last September. It's a long trip. Landed in landed in Timmins, and I checked into the hotel. And I was tired. I was very tired. I went up to the front desk, and I was the only person on the front desk. Checked in, put my bag down, checked in, and, and I told the lady what my name was. And this non-Indigenous person comes behind me, beside me, 
and the clerk and, and, and the lady, the front desk lady, begins serving him. I said, ma'am, you're serving me. I was here first. I was tired. I was, I was not kind. I was very, I almost got rude. It, 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 because it, it hurt me, I said, you know, why, why is this, why is this happening all of us? And, 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 and the, and the, and the non-indigenous guy said, it's okay. And I said, it's okay. He says, I will, I will have you serve first. I said, this is not okay. It happens to us all the time. I said, and, and, um, and, and, and I, uh, I still see that young lady working there, but I'm still kind to her. I'm still kind to her. I've gotten, I, I, I've been able to process that and say that she needs to learn that kindness is much better. And, and, and um, it's, it's, um, it things that happen to us a lot. And I think what we need to do is, is, is process this stuff and to be prayerful, to be prayerful for these people. Because if you fight fire with fire, you only get a bigger fire. So, there you go. As we stand at that crossroads, things have to change. How do people change, Norm? What is the catalyst for people to change? I think, I think the catalyst for that change has to do with our persistence in, 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 and our passion in, in going forward. I think it has to do with people beginning to look at us a little more closely and saying, who are these people? Who are these people who want to be, who want to be Anglicans, knowing that what the Anglican Church actually did to them when they were kids in residential school, did with their grandparents, and they still want to be Anglican? Who are these people? They want to be one of us, but they still want to maintain their Indianness, or my word, my Creeness. I think people are beginning to see that. They're beginning to see that. Norm, this has been such a privilege for me. Uh, I know I've said to you before that I could listen to you speak all day long, and particularly your use of storytelling. Uh, it's it's been a real gift to me to learn through your stories over the years. I am so grateful for your ministry. I hope you know how much uh, respect I have for you, and I am really grateful for this conversation that we've had today. Grace and peace to you, Melanie. And you, Norm. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Season 3 of Sacred Teachings. Get new episodes every Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Mimeo, and Podbean. Follow us on Instagram at Canadian Anglican and check out our previous episodes on all platforms. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss out. And please spread the word. See you next time. It was like a dream come true.